Good morning, City Light. I'm so glad to be here. Um, honestly, like uh, Eric probably said way more about me than, than is probably true, but uh, I really do appreciate being here. I, I love that your pastors let me preach today um, and join you guys in worship of Jesus. Um, it's been a long journey in the last couple months uh, already. It's only been two months, and you guys... I feel like you're already veterans in comparison to us in church planting. Uh, I've been able to see the other city light plants and that sort of thing. Uh, You guys by far have the better food, so that's helpful. Um, That's good. Um, But anyway, uh, I want to just kind of share with you guys a little bit of what I've been learning in the last uh, couple weeks as I've worked through the book of Philippians uh, with with your pastors as they've been preaching through it. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about myself first. Uh, A thing that I struggle with um, is the... uh, Assuming that a job is done when it's not, okay? Uh, so so uh, let me give you an example. So I've been in my home now for about six years. I've been married to my wife almost seven years here, August 1st, so that's coming up. I better figure that apart out. Um, but uh, we bought a house about a year after uh, we got married, and, and this house is a really nice house. Like, it, it was more than what we could ever afford. It was more than what we thought we would ever get. But the problem that it had, it had this really tiny kitchen, so my daughter, my wife grew up in a home where her room, bedroom was like eight by eight, which I don't know if you have a home, but like if you live in a house, eight by eight is really, really small. Our kitchen in this house was six by six. Like it was, it was a tiny little space. And so she's like going in there cooking our dinners and stuff like that. And so I was like, honey, I want to build you a kitchen and relocate the kitchen that we have into another place. And since I'm ambitious in that way, I decided to look up some YouTube videos to try to figure out what that would look like. Uh, so that was really interesting. So I'm not, I don't claim to be handy by any means, but I figured I can learn how to do most things. And so I said, okay, if I gather enough buddies and, and get enough hands to come in and help me, we could probably pull this thing off. And so uh, we start off just like grinding hard, like going really fast after it. Like I started to see like not walls come down, but I saw windows come out that were turned in the doors because I was moving it from one room to another. So like the plumbing had to go to the other end of the house. The electrical had to go to the other end of the house. Things are coming together. I'm ordering ordering cabinets, I'm ordering doors, I'm ordering countertops and getting it all in. And then I had to tear out the, the, uh, the, the uh, siding outside because I had to like move some things around for the electrical and, and had to change out another window for a door and just all these crazy things. And so we get going and then before you know it, I get a little weary because we're about eight months in and I thought it was going to take like three Like, if you've ever done a construction project where you thought, man, it should only take this amount of time and it takes double, well, take that and triple it usually, and that's my projects in our home usually. Like, you triple that, and then that's where we're at. And so I get really fun and exciting at the beginning, but then I start to taper off at the end and just start throwing stuff together. Like, I don't care if this isn't level. It's close enough, right? It's kind of lean in, but that's okay. Like, that's how I get at the end of a project. And so we get to about the fall, and it's getting cold outside. And I'm starting to put the siding on. Like, the kitchen's come together. It's functional. It doesn't have a backsplash, as my wife would remind me. But it's functional. You can cook in it. You can clean the dishes, that sort of thing. But the outside, the siding, I started putting the siding up, and then it got really cold, and I couldn't finish it. And so I left it undone, about two and a half feet of siding. And I was like, well, I'll wait till next spring, and I'll I'll hit on it. I'll get it next spring. I'll hit it hard, I promise. That's what's three years ago. That was three years ago that I said that, and that siding is still not on. Um, and so I'm a little embarrassed by that because I started some other subsequent projects since then, and, and we didn't do that. But I feel like the, the project was done, right? Like, I looked at it and said, you know what? Like, we've kind of arrived. 
Like we can cook in it. It's a better kitchen. It's bigger. We can use it. But what lies underneath the walls and right behind the walls is, is, is completely undone. And so I think much of the Christian life can be that way, where we start to lean on what has been accomplished already and not looking forward to the completion that God has in, in store for us in the future. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so we live in this state of kind of done-ish. And, and so what happens is we start to coast a little bit. Because we, we were like, well, God has already done so many amazing works. We're, we're looking back and saying, well, he saved me from my sin. Like, he saved me from myself, allowed me to be a part of his family. He has accomplished salvation in the gospel. He's done some amazing works at the beginning. I, so when I first came to faith, I don't know about you, but I was like excited, right? Like, I was crazy about Jesus going hard, like sharing the gospel with everybody, even though I didn't even know what it was exactly. Like, I was like, Jesus died for your sins. I don't know what else to tell you, but it's true, and he loves you. And I was just telling everybody. And I was reading my Bible. I started in Genesis, and then I stopped in Genesis because I couldn't get any further. Um, it's, it's a long book. Um, <laughs> And so I was like super excited. So we start to count all these different things. It's like, man, like I stopped drinking and getting drunk. I started to stop smoking. I stopped doing drugs. I stopped doing these things. I started to stop sleeping with women that aren't my wife. I stopped doing all of these different things. And then all of a sudden we just kind of come to this place and say, well, I think, I think this is good enough. I think God has done ish and all the cool things that he's going to do. And I think Paul wants to help us work through that because that's a sad Christianity. That's a Christianity that, that isn't by faith, but, it, but it's actually just a coasting through um, our past accomplishments and the past things that God has done. It's a, it's a settling with a very safe, palatable version of Christianity. And so God is still working, City Light. God desires an even greater work in our hearts. And so, so what I want to do is I want to open up to Philippians 3 and look at our, our brother Paul and see how he goes about that. Because when we look at Paul, Paul's probably been walking with God longer than a lot of us. He's been walking with God for 30 years, 30 plus years, and he's planting churches He's leading people to know Jesus. He's, he's doing miraculous things among people. And so when we look at this dude, we're like, man, he's getting something figured out. And so let's, let's look a little bit backwards, though, and see what Paul's already talked about before. What, what he, the way he sets the stage for us is he starts to talk about his spiritual accomplishments, right? So, so last week when you were in Philippians 3, he was at 3-7, and, he, and he's talking about whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything is rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So, so he's basically kind of giving a spiritual resume at first, and then he goes into saying, hey, all of those past things that I've done, all those things that were religious and, and even good for that matter, I count it all as loss. Why? So that he might gain Christ. So that he might know Christ. And then he, then he goes even further and says, I want to know him more. I want to, to gain Christ even more. And I'm thinking to myself like, what? Paul, why would you want to know God more? You already know him so much. And then he's like, I'm willing to suffer for that. And then all of a sudden I have to pull back from, from Paul a little bit because I see some discrepancies between him and myself. Like, when I think about, like, suffering, I don't naturally just lean into that and say, yeah, that's going to help me know Jesus better, right? So, so let me tell you, so the last two months has been a struggle for me because of that. 
So when I said yes to God, like, yeah, I'm going to plant a church, my automatic thought is like, man, it's going to be a pave right in front of me. Like, God is just going to, like, lay things out, and it's going to be easy. Like, things are going to be great. Everyone's going to be excited about what we're doing. And then what happened a week after I made that decision, at the week after I said, okay, I've heard from the Lord, I'm going to say yes, I get railroaded by friends. Like, I get friends that come to me and tell me, this is not a good idea. This is unfaithful. This is disloyal to what you're doing. And so what happens in my heart of hearts is I start to pull back and say, wait a minute, is God really in this? Like, if I'm facing some pushback, if I'm facing some sort of trial in the midst of this, is God really in it? So my mind doesn't automatically say, oh, suffering equates to God's taking us through a process. My, set, my mind says if suffering's there, then maybe God's not actually in it. Anybody else in that place? Maybe the best days in ministry were behind me. Maybe, maybe I've already gotten where I'm at, and so maybe I just need to coast in ministry right now because this seems like it's going to be hard. It seems like God might not be in it. It's like some sort of false prosperity gospel in our hearts. So our natural bent is to avoid those types of things and start to think that, well, maybe God's already accomplished what he's set to accomplish, and I'm good. So let's start just to coast. But then Paul starts to say, he's like, wait a minute. Let me help you guys. Because when I start to think that, I start to think it's easy for Paul to say, I'm willing to suffer for Jesus because his spiritual resume is far beyond mine and I can't relate to that. And Paul starts right out the gate to help us with that because I think he thought the Philippians probably were going to have a similar issue. So here's what he says. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. And so he's already making a huge confession, like just completely and utterly authentic. He says, not that I've already obtained it. And so when we look at guys like Paul, like Barnabas, we think to ourselves, when we look at pastor figures even, we say, man, those guys had it all figured out. When the truth of the matter is, they haven't. They they didn't sit in a place of perfection. All of us live in a reality of imperfection. We can admit that, right? We, We live in a fallen state. And so when a guy like Paul comes up and says, me too, I struggle with this. I'm, I'm struggling with this. And so, so when we look at that, though, what we're able to say then is, okay, maybe I can step into that. So, Paul, show me how to do that. Show me how to continue to press in for the next 30 years and pursue Christ-likeness. And so the first place he takes us is right there is the, to confess our current reality. To say, hey, this is actually where I'm at. I don't know about you, but, man, that's a breath of fresh air. Like, I'm a paid Christian, and that's a breath, breath of fresh air for me. Like, I get paid to be G- a Jesus follower. Like, it's, well, kind of. I'm a church planner right now, so pay is kind of a weird thing. But for the most part, that's what's been happening in my life for the last eight years. And so when I bought into the idea of doing ministry eight years ago, I thought in my own mind, I bought the lie that, man, I'm not going to struggle reading my Bible anymore, Right? Like, I'm, like, I'm going to read that every single day. People are dependent on Jesus. People are dependent on me to come preach the word and bring the word. I'm eight years in, and I'm still struggling. I still struggled this last week. I'm supposed to bring the word of God today, and I still struggled this week to say, okay, I want to meet with just Jesus. I don't want to work on a sermon. I don't want to work on a Bible study, but I want to just meet with Jesus. I struggled this week working through that. I struggle with a con- consistent prayer life. Like, I thought I would be done with that. At this point, I thought, man, the expectation should be you don't struggle to pray. I thought the expectation should be I shouldn't struggle for wanting to go to church to be a part of the worship. 
Like I, I, I thought that maybe at some point I wouldn't be tempted to stay up till 1 a.m. watching Netflix knowing I got to get up at 6 a.m. Amen? <laughs> Nobody else struggled with that. Okay, fine. I thought I was going to be done with that, all right? Um, well, the show still had so many more episodes left, so like, what are you supposed to do? But when I got in ministry, I bought the lie that all of a sudden I would come to a place of arrival and, and not have to continue to strive and struggle. But here's my point. I love Jesus, but I'm very aware of my ongoing need for his grace. I love Jesus, but I'm so aware of my ongoing need for his grace to work in my life. And so Paul says right out the gate, I don't, I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things that I, I, I don't want to do. Remember that in Romans? Like in Romans 7, he gives this very, it seems almost poetic, but he's like, I do the things that I do not want to do, and the very things that I want to do I cannot do, so therefore I recognize that it's sin that lives in me. Anybody else in that place that's struggling through the fact that I want to live like Christ, I want to live deeper in my affections to him, but at the same time, like, I feel like I'm in a place where I'm like, I don't know how to move any further. And so in Paul's struggle, in his understanding of where his heart really is, he wants to help us to realize that, that although we blow it, we can confess that stuff. We confess that, hey, I blow it daily. King Jesus, please give me the grace that's sufficient so that I can continue to move forward. Because far too often we live in two different places. We live in one place where we, where we say, okay, well, I sin too much, so why don't I just stop trying? Right? Like the forget it attitude. Like, I got that attitude. You, you tell, after a while, I'm like, all right, I keep struggling and keep struggling, keep stumbling, so I'm going to just say forget it. Or we're on the other side where I'm just going to pull my bootstraps up because we're Iowans, which is the first time I've ever said that, by the way. Um, Iowans, and so like we're just going to grind it out. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to make sure that Jesus loves me. I'm going to make sure that I can gain his favor when all Jesus wants us to do is to trust the fact that his grace is sufficient daily for the striving that he's called us to. And then Paul wants to take us to a different place. He takes us to another place, which is my favorite question. It's why. It's also my toddler's favorite question of why. Why would I do that? Because my motivation isn't do this because it's the right thing to do. That's never my motivation. I'm sorry. That's, I, I'm, I'm rebellious in my inmost being. So you got to tell me why. And so Paul says this. He says this. He says at the second part of verse 12, he says, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. He answers the, the question of why would I pursue Christ's likeness when I've already had salvation? Like, I've gotten my get-out-of-hell-free card already, so why would I pursue more than that? Why wouldn't I just continue on where I'm at? So, So he answers that question because the why we pursue that dictates our heart motive. So let me explain that to you. So growing up, I didn't... I didn't go to church. Like, our, I didn't grow up in a church family. Like, we went to church on Christmas and Easter every now and then. It ended up in some weird places, like Russian Orthodox something or other. Like, they were looking at us like we were weird. And I'm like, you guys are weird. Uh, and so, so that kind of was my church background and, and my experiences with Jesus. And then there was a family who came in. And, and, and they were a precious family. And they would come pick me, my son, and my sister up. So I was a teenager, 16 years old. And they'd pick us up, they'd take us to church, they'd worship with us, and, and there were about half the congregation was in the, um, the worship team, which was very interesting. So it was a very small church, but the thing that they did well is they loved us. They loved us really well, so much so that they fed me, 
like full course meals, which I wasn't used to at home. At home, like spam and eggs was like a staple. Um, but they, I mean, just good food. And so, so what I started to do is try to figure out this Jesus thing on my own. I was like, well, these people are nice to me. I might as well go to church. But my heart motives were very different, though. My heart motive for them versus them versus me was very different. So their motive was Christ compels me through the gospel to love people. So therefore, I'm going to drive across town, even though it was inconvenient, and bring this guy to church. When I showed up on a Sunday morning, it was so that I could petition the Lord to forgive me for what I did the last two two days so that I can keep doing it. Right. I wanted to earn God's favor in that moment. And so I even counted one time. I think I prayed to receive Christ 20 times just because I wanted to earn God's favor because I wanted to work for it. I wanted to get on my knees. I I know what I did was wrong, but I need to go to church so that he might forgive me. It's a workspace. Salvation is the heart motive that I had. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Let me show you something about salvation. Paul's motivation was not to earn salvation, but to work out his salvation. Like the reason why he wanted to press on to Christ's likeness is not because he needed to continue to please God and appease God for his salvation, but he actually did it in fact to continue to work through that salvation because the love of Christ compelled him to work on that. You see, he's teaching us something very interesting. Um, it's not a mo- motive to run after Jesus so that we might gain something from him. The motive is the fact that he's already ran after us and so now we can continue just to pursue him out of love and affection. Right? So, so, so the Christian life is not about what we do for God, but what God has already done in us, which moves us forward toward loving him and having affections toward him. And so he wants to just show us, hey, salvation doesn't come from you. So stop trying. Give up, so to speak. Because that salvation comes from God. And so let's just keep pursuing him. Continue to be more like him. Now he takes us to another place takes to another place that is really hard for me because we just said that it doesn't come for me but then he says I press on toward the goal and he says I strive he even used the word straining forward to what lies ahead in verse 13 and that confuses me right does it not confuse you when he says it's all God yet I strain and press forward because to me that says like work right I already said I don't like work and so so it's really weird it seems like he's saying legalism memorize more verses read your bible more pray more do more do more be more or resort to laziness which is what I want to do when you tell me that it's like straining I don't want to strain like I haven't lifted weights in three years I don't want to strain Like, give me a basketball. We'll play. That's no straining involved in that. But the legalism of just saying, do more, do gooder, or the laziness that says, I can never attain holiness anyway, are both sins that we commit, right? Those are both places that we take in. And it's neglecting the loving personal responsibility that comes from the grace that Jesus has given us. So Paul proposes in light of the fact that we aren't perfect and that Jesus has loved us so much to make us his own that we ought to, in Paul's word, press on and strain forward. You see, City Light, if you want to grow spiritually, it's not complicated, but it is costly. That's why he's using the word straining. Because it cost him something, but it was worth it. Because Paul, again, is forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward to what lies ahead. The glories of yesterday are gone and passed away, but the glories are to come are much greater. This means that when we inconvenience ourselves, our time with Jesus doesn't always look pretty, right? So let me give you, give you an example. So 
I wake up every morning at 6.30 because I have a two-and-a-half-year-old who wakes up at 6.30 every morning. Like, that's what he does. And I don't like it. Here's why I don't like it. Because my favorite thing in the morning is to get up, make me a cup of coffee, get my Bible out, sit in my comfy chair with my table and lamp on, and read my Bible, meet with Jesus. And so I get this unholy, impatient anger with him in the morning because he just woke me up already because I, I, I was going to lay there for another five minutes probably and then get up. But he decided he wanted to join me with the mo- in that morning. And I just, I just get so impatient with it. And God's like, why? Why are you so impatient with him? It's like you want to pursue me, but yet somehow, some way in that desire to pursue me, you're getting angry at others because you think they get in your way. Right? Do we not do that? Like we think that someone else is holding us back, relationally speaking, from Jesus. So we make all these excuses. So I'm like, well, I can't read my Bible right now because my son's up. <laughs> Obviously not. It's like, well, I guess I'll have to wait till later. And then something else comes up. Especially since I'm, a, again, paid Christian, so like the next Jesus thing that comes up is like I walk with Jesus at the time, right? Like it's like I read my Bible because I talked to this guy about Jesus, right? Like I went in this discipleship appointment thinking, well, here, let's open up the Bible. That was my quiet time. We, I showed you scripture. That was good. The problem with that is that has nothing to do with my relationship with God and everything to do with that, guys. And so what God has pressed into me is said, hey, how about you redeem the time with Uriah in the morning? How about you pull him up on your lap? Have your coffee, pull your Bible open and read it. How about you redeem that time? I don't know about you, but if I don't start to redeem those moments and start to move into and fight for my relationship with God, I won't. I just won't. It's not a part of my nature to just do that. So we do have to fight for it. So so first we gotta come to a place to say, hey, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. And then we go to a place of saying, okay, I haven't arrived, but Christ loves me so much, compels me so much, has come down from heaven. And so I have a motivation there because I'm compelled by love. And therefore, I know that I can fight. And so then he takes us to another place. There's a lot here that he tries to cover, but I'm going to try to cover it in a shorter period of time. He takes us to a place in 320 that I've been thinking about all week. Verse 20, he, after, after telling us, hey, there's a group of people out there who aren't walking with God. It's most of the world. They're people who are getting their fill from this life and not the next. And he says to us, but our, us, our citizenship is in heaven and from it await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's trying to point us to a different place, a different focus. He wants us to fixate on heaven and not what's here now. And so, so we live in this constant habitual state of right now, but not yet, right? Because he's saying, I await the resurrection, but I fight right now for that resurrection. And how do we do that? By knowing who we are. You see, he calls us citizens of heaven, Now, that does something to us, right? And it would have done something to the Roman citizens. Because when we say we're citizens, we usually say we're American citizens. We're a part of the United States of America. And and, and by birth or by working really hard for it, we got there, right? And so when you're talking to Roman citizens, it's the same way. They were very proud of being a Roman citizen. We're very proud of being Americans, generally speaking. Like, if you look at, just look at the holidays throughout the year. There are more holidays that represent the United States and our nationality as a, as a country 
than there are that celebrate Jesus. Like, there's just more of them. If you look at the calendar, there's just more of them. We love to celebrate our citizenship. We hang flags in our yards, which I still don't understand quite yet, but we do it. Like, I drove down here and I saw a bunch of flags on my way. We are so proud of our citizenship. In about a month, we'll watch a bunch of sports that we don't even like for hours upon hours because somebody's wearing an American flag on their jersey. Am I right? Like, we love being American citizens. Like, I never watch polo. There's no good reason for that. I don't really understand it. But within that, I'm not trying to criticize civic pride. So if you're a veteran here, know that. I think it's a good thing. I think we should love what God has given us because we have a stewardship over it. However, however, no matter how wonderful our country is, our citizenship as Americans should pale in comparison to being citizens of heaven. Like our celebration should be mightier when it comes to Christmas than Memorial Day and July 4th. Like I wish I could light fireworks in December legally. I might do it illegally sometime, but we'll see. Um, Like I I discovered this the hard way. So this is why I thought about it. Because my wife, being who she is, has taught me many things. Uh, She taught me how to like coffee. She taught me how to like tea, which is weird to me. Again, I still like tea though. And she, she, she opened my eyes to one of the most essential things in my walk with God right now in a given year. She opened my eyes to Christmas. I used to bah humbug about Christmas every single year. I complain about the materialism. I complain about how much money I got to spend on these kids who are just basically going to play with my toy for like a week and then dispose of it. They get more excited about a cardboard box or a stick from outside than they do about the G.I. Joe or the helicopter or any other thing that we purchase. So I used to just... I don't like Christmas, or I got to hang out with relatives that I really don't favor that much, and it's always awkward, right? Like, when I looked at Christmas, I did not look at it as a celebration. I looked at it as just another opportunity for me to be miserable. But when my citizenship started to be from heaven, when I started to understand that this celebration is not a celebration of me, it's not a celebration of my kids or our family or any of the sentiments that we might get in a Hallmark card, This celebration was of my God coming to earth in human form to bless me and make me a part of his family. That's something worthy of celebrating. That's a citizenship that was made possible 2,000 years ago. And so when I look at Christmas, I'm able to see my citizenship more clearly at that point of the year. It marks a, a pivot point for us. It's difficult to look upward to heaven when we're always looking down at the ground on earth. So let's look at our citizenship in heaven. The Christian life is an interesting thing because right now we fall short of perfection. Right now we must understand the gospel, but only in part. Right now we must work toward Christ-likeness. Right now we are citizens in heaven, and yet heaven is still to come. We haven't experienced it quite yet. God's perfected work in us has yet to come. We have not arrived yet. Being face-to-face to King Jesus is still yet to come, that glorious moment in the future. As Christians, we live in the right now, but not yet, so that we might fight toward Christ-likeness. We might fight toward the future glory of seeing our King face-to-face. So let me close with this. Jesus works in you. Work in you is not stuck in the past. He, he actually lives now. He's alive in the present And so he wants to work now. So what would it look like for you to strain forward in faith right now? What would it look like 
to put down your American citizenship to take on your heavenly citizenship? What would it look like to take the passions of just playing golf on a Saturday morning and turn that toward Jesus? What would it look like to just confess in one moment to a brother or to Jesus himself and say, I haven't arrived yet, God, and I need your help. I need your sufficient grace for today. What would it look like for us to throw off the stuff that has been hindering us spiritually for you to stop just tolerating your sin in your life and start to actually fight? To actually fight those shortfalls in our life. City Light, for us as a church, we want to continue to move from one glory to the next. It's not enough just to plant a church and say, hey, we got 150 people, let's, let's keep gathering. No, we want to reach more people for the gospel. We want to make more Jesus-centered disciples. We want to plant more churches in more areas across our city, our region, in our country, our nation, our, the world, right? Like, we don't want to just settle with the glories of the day. We want to continue to press forward to the glories of tomorrow. So it just doesn't start with a church plan. It starts with a church family who continues to grow and multiply itself. God doesn't just have the glory for today. No, God has more for us as we forget what lies in the past and continue to strive forward to what lies ahead. Amen.